Welcome to the Tech Nori Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. See why 100,000 businesses use Active Campaign for their marketing by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free on me. Today's guest, Marie Lynch. She's the CEO, founding CEO of Skills for Chicago Lens Future. Um, listen, this is an excellent show. Uh, it's a show that's long overdue, to be honest. We talk all the time about the impact of tech on jobs, uh, obviously, recently, we've talked a lot about this as it relates to COVID. I have talked about the fact that the very first time that I received or you received an automated invite, Cal invite, was the last day of the past. The future was upon us. And that from here on out, there's going to be new tools and tech that's built every single day to essentially replace human beings or at least human behaviors. And that is all true. And COVID is proving that. We are working remotely and there's going to be an impact on jobs lost, not because of furloughs and just cutting costs, but literally the job is obsolete. This is a reset. COVID sends everyone home and the world hits a reset button and that is good for some people and it's terrible for others. And I talk about it a lot of times under the context of what I see. I am in technology, startups, venture capital. And like it or not, I am filled with people who look just like me, white men. I don't get the opportunity very often to actually understand what it is like to grow up in a zip code that is not well met or that does not go to University of Chicago or Northwestern or plugged into some sort of social pipeline that leads to a job. I couldn't truly understand it. I've talked to numerous founders, whether that's Shaniqua Davis or Stella Ashaulu, who have come on this recently. We had Reapley's Gary Cooper on. And I'm, I'm just trying to get an understanding myself so that I can help share this message and get more people who listen to the show to understand and be a part of the solution. Companies have long talked about diverse hiring practices. And then immediately, they start spitting out stats. And stats, quite honestly, are symptomatic. They're not the problem. They're not the solution. They're just what you're seeing. And when I'm talking to today's guest, I think that it's important to set this interview up the right way and understand that for the vast majority of people who are unemployed right now, whether they got laid off because of COVID or not, they have a hard time getting the first opportunity that many of us had. And I think a lot of businesses like to think that they're hip and with it, they're woke, but they're not. And it's not even their fault. They're just surrounded in an insular way that makes it very difficult to imagine what the culture would be like at a company that was diverse. Most of these CEOs who I know personally recognize the importance about diversity. It's not, it is obviously very clearly about human rights, but it is not entirely about that. It's also a business opportunity. It's the opportunity to capture market share and understand your customers that don't look just like you. And in order to have that, the company can't just look like you. It has to look like the community around you, the community you want to be in. Technori, for the longest time when we had the stage events, we never really publicized it, but it was a reality. When we built the Technori community, we wanted the community to look like the real community of Chicagoland we lived in, which was half male, female, and 35 plus percent minority. And we had a thing where every single showcase we did, we basically had 50, 50, 35. And we kept doing that. And, and I, I posted about this the other day on my LinkedIn and on Twitter. I looked up all of the investments that I made in the last three years. There's 13 of them. 71% were minority or female led. I had no I, I promise you, I had no purposeful intention to how I did that. It just happened, and I will tell you why. Because I surrounded myself with 
female and minority-led businesses more than others. It was just a matter of reality. That, that's just what happened. The shakeup was I like this company and that company and this company and that company. I was not paying attention to male, female, minority. I was thinking just that's what it is. That's a good looking company. I like the company. I like the opportunity. My point in this is that if the companies themselves ran this way, if society ran this way, you would find opportunity in places you couldn't imagine. But because we're not set up for that, we don't even look for the opportunity and therefore we miss it. And it's not just the people who live in these areas that miss out. We miss out, you miss out, your investors and stockholders miss out, everybody misses out. And there are organizations out there that specifically work with employers to identify the jobs that need filling and where the best talent exists. And they also work with the different communities that don't have access like maybe you and I had. And I will tell you, I said it on the show, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for me either. I grew up with exactly the right area code and neighbors and access. And I still got kicked in the face. For, from 2006 until like 2015, it was not a great time. I was broke as a joke. And I will tell you that I had every advantage in the world. So imagine what that's like for someone who doesn't have those advantages. Someone who has no access point. Someone who cannot raise capital when they need it. It's a completely different picture that most of us can't relate to. And so my hope is when you listen to this episode that you consider that, that you think about what we talk about and in particular, the, the story that Marie shares about her own experience getting into government nonprofit work and that seemingly she should have had every break and didn't. And again, she still came from, quote unquote, one of the right area codes. So this is an interview that I think is well worth everyone's time. I think it's an important thing as we start to put the pieces back together, um, both as a country, uh, as a society, uh, and as business owners. We are putting things back together. This is an opportunity to rehire, recast what you want your business culture to look like, your workforce to look like, and ultimately you want your city to look like. So this is my interview with the founding CEO of Skills for Chicago Land's Future, Marie Lynch. So the vast majority of guests who come on the show are entrepreneurs trying to build extremely profitable, extremely high value from venture-backed capitalist companies in tech and SaaS and everything in between. And occasionally, we have the opportunity to have an entrepreneur who comes on for a social good company. And I think that a lot of people sort of don't understand what that means and they don't quite get like why you would do that. And I, I, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to have you join us on the show here and talk about exactly that, as well as skills for Chicagoland's future. And hopefully for those listening, we're going to dive into a little bit about if you are currently unemployed or you feel you're unemployable, uh, what you should be doing to change that. So uh, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So tell me, you are an entrepreneur for good. What is, not that other entrepreneurs are for bad, but they're <laughs> not for as good a good as you're, you're going for. Yeah. Um... So, you know, a social entrepreneur is just an interesting concept, right? I mean, it's, it's based on the same characteristics as, you know, private sector entrepreneur, and we certainly have our own venture capital we have to raise, but it's, yeah, it's about, it's about creating a solution for good, um, where you're pouring everything back into the, to the organization and the people you serve. Um, I, I don't know that I would have, you know, known, um, you know, 30 years ago that I was going to become a social entrepreneur. Um, I'd always worked at, uh, I always knew I was going to be in government not-for-profit work, um, and I love that, but I always worked at big organizations and, um, but I always like to build and create things. Um, but I liked having the backing and the support, you know, I was, I was building things within organizations, but, uh, I actually helped, um, 
and was the founding CEO of Scotia Carbon Future with the last recession, um, which is amazing too. I would not have guessed that 10 years ago, you know, that right now I'd be looking back at 10 years and tapping into everything we learned back then. And I would not have guessed that um, the unemployment numbers could have ever been like what they are right now. Um, you know, that was pretty bad 10 years ago. But in any case, you know, the point of being a social entrepreneur though, I was gonna say is what's really neat about it is, you know, instead of, you know, our venture capitalists are, you know, individual funders, right? You, you have to go in and, and pitch. In my case, you know, kind of a fun claim to fame, you know, people look at me now and they think, oh gosh, you know, look at her, she, you know, she, she knows all these people. Um, I didn't know any of the folks that I know now um, back then. And I'm actually, I would say I'm a kid from Old Park who grew up next to like air conditioning guys and plumbers. But I was fortunate to get, you know, a good set of degrees and get some good experience in the city of Chicago and Deloitte. Um, but I eventually met, um, I eventually with the, with what happened on unemployment, was able to put together a concept called Skills Chicago in the Future, which is about basically turning the whole workforce system upside down and starting with the employer first instead of the individual first. And it sounds pretty basic, but you start the job first. Um, and the whole model was about that, was starting the job job first. And um, we can talk about that as we get into this. But, but the fun part of the story is, as we put together this model and we've done some testing, um, I'll never forget my venture capital experience, which was um, I pitched the idea to the city of Chicago. They really liked it. The person in the mayor's office there, actually, her name's Beth Swanson, actually connected me and said, you need to meet Penny Pritzker. Um, and this is before Penny became the U.S. Secretary of Commerce and uh, went in and it was a venture capital moment. She didn't know who I was and um, went in and pitched the concept. And she was trying to work on, she had a national initiative called Skills for America's Future. was looking for a local concept and fell in love with what we were doing and spent nine, nine months with me, um, bringing in some other experts and basically took that business plan and took it to another level and got on the board and off we went and we can get into that. But it was, um, it was a neat, kind of the neat venture capital moment. It, you know, it's funny. I don't think people know this or think about it, but you know, we've worked with even smaller organizations like Zero Waste Chicago um, and, you know, community startups with Beth Bond and a few others. And almost all of these require capital. And I think right. people just think that like you fill out a form and the government just sends like grants or like that's the deal. Yeah. And it's like, you literally have to raise money the same exact way we do with yeah. this like 60 phone calls to get 20 meetings to have one meeting that actually matters. And then you get on the yeah. inside and they start making intros for you. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think people recognize just what goes into that and, and what the reward is. Because it's yep. a different it's a different value prop that you're pitching to someone like Penny Pritzker than maybe if I was pitching to JB before he became governor. Right, I think that's right, and you you know it's really well said, right? You, you're taking the business principles that exist. Like I, I I got my master in public policy from University of Chicago, and I attended a bunch of business classes. You could take classes the MBA program, and I remember I was <laughs> I felt like a spy. You know, I was like, oh, I got to figure out <laughs> these guys are doing this, and you basically take the same principles. Um, you have to put together your value proposition. You've talked about your big bet. You have to talk, you know, figure out what it costs. You have to have your staffing. You have to have your funding model. You have to have, um, you know, pilot, um, pilot and, you know, early, um, you know, current early sales or early results. Um, and then you have to pitch and you have to, yeah, and you have to pitch and pitch and pitch. And, you know, just like a successful entrepreneur, um, you know, in the social entrepreneur, you also have to be really passionate and, and personal about it. And, you know, just again, someone to the business side, they're funding, you know, and when you're making these pitches, it's funding not just, you know, you're funding not just a good idea, but you're funding an idea that actually has the capacity to make change and then has a leader that they, you know, that people trust in, right? And know that you're also, you know, your reputation really matters, being a good steward of dollars really matters. But part of what happens when somebody like Penny, um, she not only fell in love with it, she ended up becoming our founding chair. 
and then ended up um, helping me to get, you know, 30 of the best board of directors I'd, I'd ever been, you know, ever had. And it just took the organization and the concept to a complete another level because it opens up, you know, it, it sends a, a big economic signal, right, that that people are behind it. Um, and her, you know, early donations allowed us then to, you know, secure, a, I mean, I'll never forget pitching to J.P. Morgan Chase, and we secured a $1.2 million gift that was announced at the White House, you know, a year later. Um, I'm sorry, a year later from Penny, you know, yeah. this gift gets announced at the White House. Um, while I was there, you know, speaking about unemployment. So it's, um, it's, it's, it is similar. And it's uh, it, just in terms of your comment, though, about um, one of the pieces that's really fun about it is um, when I worked at Deloitte, you know, I would sell work and I love that because I love the work, but there's something so amazing about selling a concept where, you know, somebody's life is going to be changed. And in fact, many lives are going to be changed because of the work. Um, and so, you know, the high you get from knowing that this work you're doing and these funders who are getting behind you, are, you know, that they, they, they're going to know in, you know, in a year that, um, and then years to come. And now for us, you know, we put 10,000 unemployed into jobs that, 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 you know, the ROI was strong. It's funny you mentioned that the, the passion that certain entrepreneurs have. And I, I always wonder if, I mean, I don't really wonder anymore. I have my own assumptions on it. But I, I see myself when I get behind a project, I put a lot behind it. I don't just jump on everything. I might like, you know, kick the tires on a lot of deals, but it's the ones that I'm like, oh my God, like I, I can't wait to sell this. Like I'm so excited to tell everyone what I'm doing. And then you see the entrepreneurs who I think maybe you're looking at it from a money standpoint. They just want like, there's an opportunity and you can feel it. And I, right. I feel like uh, in social entrepreneurship, you know, we say this in the venture community, if you don't look like you can sell your own product, you're not enthusiastic about it, at a certain point, the challenges will mount and you will give up. Right. In the social entrepreneur realm, that is tenfold. Right. Because the challenge is every day is a challenge. <laughs> like right. there isn't a moment where you're like, oh, we got funding this year, we're good. Like, no, next, you're gonna need it again and again and again. Um, right. it's, it's, it's interesting. So the, the other part of that, and it's a good segue into what you guys actually do and, and how those unemployed need to sort of, um, you know, what they can do to help themselves and what others can do to help them. We have a lot of young founders who've been on this show and they've gone on stage and they've done the pitch and they've done the whole thing. And a lot of them feel like they got out of college, they, you know, maybe raised a million dollars and now they're all the way up here and they don't have to do certain jobs and they don't learn a lot of how businesses work in the middle. And that makes them a bad CEO because they flat out don't know what they need to know. They don't have empathy. And I, I wonder sometimes when we look at, and this is obviously not everyone unemployed. There's a, a, probably even a small portion that this falls under. But I do feel like sometimes people think, well, I used to work in this position over here. And so now when I get a new job, I should be there or higher. And don't realize that you kind of need, and it's actually good for you to take a position in a company that allows you to work up as opposed to yeah. like, starting higher than you belong and just looking bad. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So I think, you know, so you touched on two things there um, that I think are interesting. Um, let me take the, let me take the first, the first one you touched on was passion. And the second one you talked about was kind of the career trajectory and having yeah. different jobs. Um, let me take those one by one on, on the passion piece. I just wanted to say that, you know, one thing that I think is really important, whether, you know, whatever somebody chooses to do is when, when your heart is in it and you have a personal connection to it, whether it be a private sector job or not-for-profit or government, you're just, I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of hours. And, and if you love what you're doing, you're just better at it. Right. And that seems really obvious, except I think that, um, I think your point is a good one about, you know, just chasing the dollar versus chasing the concept. And, 
you know, um, and the skills piece, you know, the, the, the reason it's, I want to share two things on it. One thing is for me personally, the reason it's so important is because, so I grew up in, as I mentioned earlier, I grew, I grew up in Villa Park and, and, um, which is a, it's a great community and it's, it's real. Um, but you know, frankly, um, only 30% of the kids I went to college that I went to high school with graduated from college and I'm sorry, went to college, went to a four-year college. And so it was really kind of a good mix of, of the real world except I really wanted this internship in government and I, I couldn't get it in high school. And I thought I had bad luck. I was like, I think I'm doing all these right things. I had, you know, thought I had bad luck, but you know, my, my neighbor truly like my best friend who lived on the block her, her dad worked for Dominic's and, you know, the retail store and, and my other neighbor was a plumber. Right. And so I, here, I think I have bad luck. Then I go to college, I go to U of I and what happens there? Well, I think, okay, now I'm in political science. I'm in all these organizations. I don't get the internship for the state again. And who got it was, was my, I'll never forget it. It was a classmate who had no interest in government, but it was like a big lesson to me. He lived next to a state legislator. Oh, that's helpful. Right. And so, and by the way, this happens in the private sector too, right? You happen to that's know. That's all the private sector is. Yeah. <laughs> pretty right. much. It's how you get in, right? It's how you get your jobs. Right. And so I didn't get my big break. So I thought I'd bad luck again. I finally go to grad, I go to grad school. I don't get my, I'm in mean, Chicago. I don't get it through grad school. I actually get it through my neighbor. I happen to be living on the North side and I happen to meet the neighbor in the apartment building and her friend just turned down a job for the policy chief for the mayor's office. So I finally get my break. And what was the difference? I'm the same person. I had the same, the same set of, I would argue the same set of skills and leadership ability, but I had a different zip code. Yep. And so, you know, this became a passion for me about economic mobility and it ties to your second part of the question, which is about a trajectory. And if you can't get that first start, how are you going to be able to get to that middle or that top part, right? To move through all those jobs. And I also have always been really passionate too that you meet people where they're at and you know, part of what skills, what skills does, what I would say is we are, we are the zip code equalizer. We're there to, you know, be there for the, be there for everybody because everybody doesn't get to live next to, um, you know, the, the CEO of Walgreens, you know, or the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, like we or, or just people who work hard enough to get those resumes to the top. And so skills engages in these relationships to get to know the employers so that we can get those resumes there. And I will say it is really important that um, and really valuable. I also, I'm a big advocate of retail work. Um, and this goes back to your earlier point of like working those jobs. I think it's really important. And we see in our young people, like, yes, there's like the golden job of like wanting to move into like, you know, middle income job and then move up to the high level. But you know what? There's something really important about having those basic skills of customer service and maybe even doing a job you don't like and working for a supervisor that might be hard. And this is kind of what you're getting at in terms of the empathy. When you've been on the other side of those jobs and we, what you know, you know how to experience all those basic um, aspects, which become part of how we deal with people, that makes you a better manager and better leader. Um, but I think in, you know, in light of our conversation today and what's happening with unemployment, it's, it's important to note, though, that with you know, 85% of people getting their jobs through a network, a lot of folks think it's just their hard work and their, um, they think it's their hard work that gets in those jobs, but they don't understand how many people don't have the zip codes that allow them to get that first job. Um, to even work their way up. I agree with you. I mean, I would put in context and, and I don't mean this is a woe is me thing, but I think, you know, I am working on a lot of deals now that I really quite honestly don't have to work that hard to get. I've gotten to a position with Technori that I get a lot of deal flow and I have a lot of different, you know, network parameters that allow me to get in deals easily. And it looks really easy. But since 2006 until about 2018, I was getting kicked in the face every single day. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I come from, 
a good zip code and I have a lot of people who I grew up with who have plenty of money and plenty of access and I still got kicked in the face yeah. repeatedly and was like, I mean, I, I joked about this, to, well, I joke about it all the time with my wife. I was taking her on a date in 20, this is 2016. And I literally was watching what she ordered to know what I was ordering because I didn't have $150 in my bank account. Yeah. Like yeah. it was that much of a, every dollar in goes to this business and I just don't live. Yeah. And I, and I just can only imagine if you're a person who come, who has that same work ethic, but has no connections, yeah. no zip code, you yeah. will never have a shot unless yeah. you figure out a way to get that first shot, which is everything. Well, yeah. And now, you know, what's interesting to you is like, I mentioned to you that, you know, I, you know, founded skills back in the last recession. And it's interesting because I've been asked a lot about like, you know, what do you learn from that? Or what do you see related to now? And I think, you know, kind of building on this, one thing that's really interesting is when unemployment is high, who you know matters even more. Yep. And right, because the employers are inundated in their applicant tracking systems with a set of resumes. That's just frankly, just it's overwhelming, yep. right? I mean, and so you, you cannot possibly get, you know, you post for, you know, you have a hundred roles and you, you get 10,000 applicants. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just too much. And the so, fifth person gets hired pretty much. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. And, and God forbid, you know, you have a, you have a gap in service. Some of the applicant tracking systems actually have what's called a knockout question, which is if you're not currently employed, yeah. they knock you out. And so, um, you know, the point on this is, again, it kind of goes back to the, you know, the, the, who, you know, thing we, we've found in our, you know, 10 years of being in existence that, it is amazing to us how many people come through skills and that we help connecting the employer that actually had tried to get into that employer for years and we're sitting in that employer's database. Um, and so it just, you know, being, um, you know, having somebody to A, to have that connection with the employer who's interested in hiring from different communities and then B, for the, you know, for our neighbors and, you know, in, in a lot of different communities in Chicago that don't, don't have that right access for us to be able to help prepare them for that particular job. You know, I think that's the other thing too is, I think one of the number one things I'll hear employers say is, I don't want somebody who just wants a job. I want them to, I want them to want my job, yep. right? Kind of like getting married. You don't want somebody just to marry you. You want them, you know, to get for the purpose of marrying, right? You want them to actually love you. Depends um, on how desperate you are, but yeah, generally. But that's true, yeah. right? Right? That's true. Good point. Good point. Well, but I don't know if those work out so well in the world. No, <laughs> no, they don't. But if you don't have a job and you're desperate, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't, right. doesn't really matter. Right. Um, but we try to, you know, we try to really help the, um, you know, the, the unemployed, you know, get into that. But I, I think the other thing I would say, you know, about skills that's interesting too is, we found in the last um, the last recession too that, you know, you and you won't be amazed by this, but there's a number of folks that have their college degrees, and we even had folks who had master's degrees who suddenly need a resource um, because it's so competitive out there. Yeah. And um, and so I think that's you know an important thing. And, and you know the other thing I'd say to you too is, you know, for the folks you know that you talk to a lot, um, there's also an intentionality about if you do have jobs to not just hire the people that look and, and, and are like you and not use to not just limit it to your own network. And that's a very common thing that kind of continues to, you know, kind of build on this, this access issues when, when people just work within their own circle. Um, but if, you know, as, if you're hiring, if you can actually be very intentional about working with other community organizations and opening up your doors, oh man, people will be, sh be shocked with um, the level of loyalty and talent out there. I, I've actually said this to numerous companies that we've advised with, that I recommend against hiring out of your local network for the most part. Like if there's, if, if I know a person that is perfect for the job because of their experience, like I, I've been watching them, I know the trajectory, that's a little unique, but yeah. generally speaking in my, just for me, I've had a terrible experience yeah. hi, hiring people 
that I know one connection away because I make a lot of assumptions. You just sort of assume that because they're friends with so-and-so or they were hired by so-and-so or they, right. they claim that they did this job that they are proficient or that yeah. they're responsible or accountable or good to work with. And that has not yeah. been the case. Yeah. So that's, well, you know, so that's, I'd go, go random if you have a choice. Yeah, I think yeah. better odds. No, I think, that's, I think that's right. I think the other thing that sometimes gets lost in this too, um, and it sounds like you, you know, fully understand this, but there's also, you know, we're all a product of where we're, of our, where we grew up and how, how we grew up and what we see. And, you know, I'll never, I can't leave this company name nameless, but there was a, you know, a, a tech company that I saw one time and, and I was touring through and, and everybody generally looked the same. And I remember thinking like, that's, you know, they're going to get so far with the services they're selling, but there's a whole set of markets that they're yeah. not tapping into that they're not going to know as intimately, you know, that they're actually restricted on their growth because they don't have enough, you know, diversity of talent to expand and to expand meaningfully. And so I think, you know, there's also a real strong business proposition about the lens that people um, have and come from and, you know, um, that really help to open up business lines that translate into profit for folks. Unfortunately, that's a lot of tech companies. You didn't have to name it. You could have just said tech company and <laughs> insert insert tech company here. And, and you know, we talked about this with a couple of founders um, of, of companies that are trying to address sort of the racial divide in hiring. Um, Stella yeah. Shalu is one of them. Um, and, you know, in the conversations, it was stunning to me because I it was one of those things where when she said it, I was like, oh my God, that's the most accurate thing I've ever heard. And for whatever reason, I almost hated that I didn't notice it. Every single company that, at least in tech, that is hiring, and this is not necessarily today because I think a lot of things have happened over the last four months, but go back one year and, hey, check this place out. We've got these drag bags and we've got ping pong and we've got IPAs and we've got coffee baristas and we've got all these different things. And if you look around you, there's only a certain type of person who those are the, the same three favorite things. And they yep. are 34-year-old males who come yep. from, they went to, from Wilmette, like basically. And yep. she, like, so when I talked to Stella about it, uh, and even Shaniqua Davis was another one who came on the show and talked about this. She was like, I don't care about those things. Like, it's, I, I won't even feel comfortable working there. It's like, not that I don't want the job, I do. But I don't, just like you and I, I don't want to work somewhere where I know I'm not going to have fun. Right. And you're not catering. The businesses can't solve the diversity divide in hiring by just like throwing stats at it. Like right. you have to literally build the culture around who you want to be and who you want to be at your company. Right. So it starts at the company and the job. It does. And I, I love actually that you're, you know, I love that awareness and what you're sharing about um, that example, because it reminds me of another example. Again, and I, I, I'm going to leave the company nameless as well, but it was really interesting. We, we had a company that we were working with that was really interested in diversity hiring um, and they were having some trouble um, and they're, you know, tech and they're having some trouble with it. And one of the things we always, we sign confidentiality agreements. Yep. And so this is part of why I protect the names of the companies, but we really get to see underneath the covers in a way that's not, and, you know, there's no judgment. We're not connected to the Department of Labor. You yeah. know, we're really just there to work with the companies to help them hire talent from the neighborhoods. And, and this is one actually that I got, got closer to than I normally do. And, and, you know, great jobs and great. And we were having a little bit of trouble, you know, plugging through. And we finally got to the point that one of the hiring steps, um, one of the hiring steps was that um, in step two or step three of the process, um, if you were interviewing, you had to go to a Lincoln Park bar. And um, that's where you interviewed. And it was like basically to see how you were in a social atmosphere. And um, we had to talk with the employer a little bit about, you know, that can be really um, 
that can be really challenging. That may not, that may be very comfortable for some people, but Lincoln Park may not, a Lincoln Park bar may not be comfortable for others, right? Yeah, and, it's not ideal. Right. And it was, but it was an interesting thing of like, but it, it's kind of like the ping pong example, right? Like, but I like it. It's understandable. Like, it's fun. It's easy. It's social. Um, and so that it wasn't coming from a bad place. It was just not necessarily fully understanding, you know, why that, th that might actually be sending a different message um, about, you know, about culture. So, um, so anyway, I think those things are right. And I think, you know, just having that awareness to look at those things. And certainly, again, when you have people on staff that, you know, have different views and different perspectives, that's a, that's the quickest way, frankly, to kind of look at how you open up your hiring practices to, to act as others. I, I totally agree with you. And I, I'll add an anecdote to that for, for fun, for those who are listening and are like, well, wait a minute, we take people to Lincoln Park for our bar meeting. <laughs> Let me provide you an alternative. Uh, this comes from uh, one of the co-founders of G2 in Chicago, Tim Handorf, told me this story when he came on the podcast like three, four years ago, and I never forgot it. And I've repeated it a million times. His grandfather, they grew up on a farm in Iowa. And his grandfather, when he was going to hire a farmhand, or anyone for that matter, he would always say, you know what, let's go for a drive, and I want to get to know you. And so he would tell the person, you're going to drive. And he would start walking to the car, and he would make his decision right about when the person got to the door. Because if they pulled out their keys before they got to the door, they plan ahead. If they go inside the car and find their keys, they don't plan ahead. And farming is a seasonal activity. Uh -huh. I love that. Uh -huh. I thought immediately it was like, truly, you are either a person who thinks ahead and is like, got it, or you're not. Right. So I recommend people not going to bars and drinking at all right now, unless you have a mask or even then <laughs> at all. Right. But if you are going to do a meeting, try to do something where it's like totally normal behavior. Like, do you grab your keys or do you not? Very simple stuff. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, look, I think to, you know, to make this tangible for folks too, like who might be, you know, really have their heart, especially right now, right? With like COVID having happened, we know that there's a disproportionate impact on African-American community and, you know, and Hispanics, both in terms of the effect of COVID, but also unemployment, right? Hourly workers have been decimated, right? I mean, that, that group has been decimated in terms of being completely hit. Um, you know, unemployment's over 40 million in this country. And so, and, you know, things, and, and every time it seems like we take two steps forward, we take another step back, right? And so it's kind of a slow grow, not to mention the $600 federal unemployment um, weekly um, additional benefit is going away at the end of the month, which is kind of propped up the economy a little bit. So this is kind of all happening. So maybe it's like, you know, and, and there's racial injustice, right? I mean, George Floyd is like, you know, the whole, the whole, it is not a moment, it's a movement. Yep. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people out there who want to do something right now, right? They're, they're listening to this. And, and so, you know, a few tangible things I'd say. One is um, certainly, you know, uh, look at the colleges that you're recruiting from, right? Or where you're, where you're looking for talent, right? And go to those, you know, go to those colleges that maybe you weren't. It doesn't just have to be the U of I's and the Northwestern and UC, right? Um, there's actually incredible talent, you know, sitting actually at, you know, city colleges and Harper College and some of the community colleges that don't necessarily have the financial means to go to those four-year, you know, institutions. And, and, um, and so look at some of those, right? And all those schools have programs where they want to be talking to entrepreneurs and, and others about hiring. Um, second is, um, like anything in the private sector, if you don't, you outsource or you build within. And if you're really interested in hiring from the neighborhoods um, or really expanding out your, you know, your talent base, there are a number of us, you know, skills included that that's what we do is we, um, you know, we are, we are your outsourced function to be able to help you access the neighborhoods. I mean, we spend all day, you know, our employers first, you know, we have 50 employers in Chicago, Ross and Rhode Island. We, they have, you know, 50 employers out in Rhode Island. 
we spend all our day with our employers, but we also have a team that spends all their days um, working in the South and the West Side neighborhoods to identify talent um, and, and great talent for not just to work, but for that job. We, yep. we Everything comes back to that job for that employer. And so, you know, you can work with organizations like myself. Um, I'm also part of a collaborative called the CBO Coalition, which is 16 workforce development organizations. Um, and so if an employer says, oh, we'd like to work with these skills, but we'd also like to work with others, we have access to, we work with 15 others that we collaborate on for employers. So if an employer came to us and said, we got 20 positions we want to hire, um, we're there. You know, there, there's, there's, my point here is that, and a source not-for-profit that does these things. Um, and by the way, you know, there's generally not a charge up front for these things. Uh, you know, how does the, you know, how does the revenue model work on this? It's, we want to, you know, all these organizations want to work with folks and then come back around at a certain point and say, you know, can you donate to our breakfast yeah. or do you have a foundation, right? But so you can start. Um, and then the third thing I think is just, you know, an, an obvious one is, you know, just, um, I would also say is just, you know, your leadership, right? If you have some leadership, um, that you can tap into, as we talked about earlier, that is that is not, you know, look the same and 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 is representative of you know, the broader community. Um, people bring in their own network, and you can access their network. I could not have said that any better. Naturally, of course, you would say it better because that's what you do for a living. Um, but <laughs> but but I think it's it's just an important thing. And one of the first ones you brought up, and I think you know, we spent a lot of time talking about jobs are going away. Yeah. And I and I think. One thing I would like to shine a light on so people see like this is an opportunity yeah. is you talked about the colleges of DuPage, the uh, Harper College, you talk about the tech schools around the city, um, city colleges. There's a, a bunch of different technical schools. And I think the one thing that is absolutely undeniable and positive about COVID is that the restructuring of the university system is now almost underway. It has yeah. to be. And, yeah. and to me, that makes education actually more affordable as well as more approachable for people who come from neighborhoods that maybe their brother or sister had never gone to college. And yeah. my answer to them is, I don't know if they call it college at this point, but you will go to college. It'll just not be the same. You will be able to go to a two-year and end with a job. We had the um, founder of ultimately the company Thinkful got bought by Chegg. And he said, like, basically our model, I was like, how did you compete? This is 10 years ago that they got this going. Um, and I said, how did you compete with universities who were offering coding and computer science and all this stuff? And he was like, really, I mean, it was hard work, but really simply, we didn't take your money unless we gave you a job. Yeah. And there, that is the future of a lot of these uh, technical school programs. And I think it's a great opportunity for people from every single area of the world to actually learn a skill and, and try to leverage those relationships for jobs. Yeah, and I think the other thing I'd add to that is, I think the other thing that's interesting right now is, so let me give you a comparison. So back in, um, in the last recession, you know, again, 10 years ago, there was roughly, in Cook County, there was roughly um, uh, 200, 225,000 unemployed. Um, and we had about 11, 11, 12% unemployment. And there was 150,000 job openings. Okay, last, um, Last time I looked, because we track all this on our website. Last time I looked, um, we had roughly um, we had roughly seven hundred and fifty thousand unemployed in Cook County, and eighty thousand job postings. Okay, so the gap, the reason, so the gap is right. It's giant, and what that means is, let's go back to the education piece. What that means is, look, there's just not enough jobs for everybody right now. Okay, there's just not because of you know it, we could. That's a separate yeah. podcast, right? 
But what that means is education is going to become even more important because one of my piece of advice, and I've been telling the press this when I've been doing interviews is, you know, what do you do in that moment? That means that, you know, yes, if, you know, definitely go full throttle and trying to network and get a job and come to organizations like ours and, you know, through scfjobs.com and all that. That's great. But then also look at school. And, um, you know, a good example I give on this is so say maybe you're really interested in hospitality. Well, we know that the hotel industry is going to be one of the last to come back, right? Yep. So maybe that's a good time to go back to, you know, go back to school or, or to enroll and finish your, your four-year degree to get yourself, you know, some, you know, some finance classes or some tech classes or some management classes that you can use or to get your degree so that when, the, when that industry comes back, you're ready and now you have a degree in Right. So I think colleges and I think especially affordable colleges are should experience, I would hope, some level of you know uptick here um, because people need to get that, you know, that deg those degrees. The other thing is like credentialing. Right. I mean, any any type of credentialing you can do right now that helps is positive. Um, and, and the other thing I'd say is I also think like the whole transferable skills is really important because some of those jobs are just gone and yep. they're going to be gone for a while. Right. And so how can you take what you did before and, you know, repackage that resume and repackage your story? Um, because there are, and you know, this too, like I'm super jazzed about like the entrepreneurial stuff that's coming because look, I mean, look at the contact tracing things that's happening. Look at what's happening with, you know, I keep waiting for somebody to come out with, you know, truly real, um, breathable masks. Um, you know, I mean, we have a transportation issue going on, um, you know, certainly for biking industry, this is interesting. What is it going to do? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of new things coming. Um, Divi is actually one of our clients. I'm yep. like, I mean, they're doing really well, you know, they're expanding. So, um, so anyway, you know, the, the, the point here is, um, that college is really important in this credentialing is important and that, um, you know, unfortunately there's not a job for everyone right now. And, and I would also, I mean, of course, agree with that. I would add as the, the kind of final layer on the cake is, and hopefully people have started doing this before they hear this podcast, because it's, it's not too late, but it's a little later than you would wish. When else on life, in life will you have a three-month or four-month or six-month or even a year moment in time where you're completely free of what you're doing? And in some cases, still making some money or being covered at least basically, <clears throat> where you can literally stop and go, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And now is that time. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I think, um, I think for, I think that's correct. But I also think I, I would just add to that. I think there's also a, a whole segment of population too, that the financial drain is so significant, yeah. right. That they, you know, may not have the full luxury to be able to explore that, you know, as fully as some others. And so I think if you don't, it's also okay um, to maybe do something that, you know, is maybe not part of your long-term trajectory, but, but just to have yourself, you know, bringing in some money and also it's always better to have something on your resume. Right. And yeah. so, right. And so maybe you're working part-time and then working on that project that you always wanted to, as you're kind of talking about, you know, following that mission, you know, passion project for yourself. Um, but give yourself, I think also to just take some pressure off folks that like, and especially those folks that are graduating right now, um, you know, it's okay um, that if it's not the perfect, you know, it's a practice. 2020 is a practice year. Yeah, do what you got to do to get by, learn yeah. a lot, do the best you can yeah. with it. But this, this year we'll have an asterisk for everything forever. Well, and hopefully, right. It's going to make, I, I have a son actually who's 19. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about, you know what, it's good. Like, to, you know, it makes you more, um, I, I think this group, you know, people are gonna be more resilient, right? You have to be, uh, we'll make it through this and, you know, people learn a lot about themselves and, um, and I, I think 
I think also, you know, in Chicago, I think certainly, um, you know, coming together to you know, try to address this unemployment issue. I appreciate this conversation. This has been great. Uh, where do people go to follow anything you're doing as well as obviously uh, learn about skills for Chicagoland yeah. future? So um, for businesses that are interested in or individuals that are interested in, um, you know, in skills and working with us to help you hire talent, you go to skillsforchicagolandsfuture.com. And uh, if you know folks that are entry level or mid-level and looking for jobs and are unemployed or underemployed, um, we have a dedicated website for them called scfjobs.com. And every single day we have every um, every employer we do work with that has COVID-related hiring or or even beyond COVID, but anybody hiring right now, we have it updated daily. And we uh, it's not just a blank database of where you, you know, send it in and you go into the black hole. We actually uh, have a team of recruiters that are connected to those employers. And if you're a fit, uh, you'll hear from us. Very cool. Appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks so much, Scott.